What is up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the Fractal Exploratorium. I am your host, DJ Brule, and I'm joined by my friend and audio engineer, Nick Tantillo. Here as always. So in this episode, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, some pretty some pretty hard science this time around. Uh, in the previous episodes, we kept it a little light. Uh, in this episode, we're going to definitely talk a lot about how chaos theory and fractals are implemented into my idea for fractal architecture, which is a style of architecture I invented. And if you've listened to previous episodes, most of what I talked about revolves around that type of architecture. And I would say for listeners, it's pretty wise to go back and listen to the other episodes before we jump into this one, uh, if you already have not, because, you know, DJ covers a lot of uh, topics in those that you'll need to kind of understand what's going to happen here. Yes, yeah, so and I would say this podcast is meant to be kind of an anthology. So uh, listening to it in order, this definitely has a purposeful order to how I did things, much like how a Fibonacci sequence has a purposeful order. So. Right. And how I, I like to talk about order, and a lot of times it gets a little chaotic. What we talked about today's episode, we're going to kind of jump around between quantum physics and chaos theory and complex dynamic systems. But much like a fractal, what we talk about gets a little bit chaotic, but it always evens itself out in the end. Yes, and like chaos theory says, that after you run the system over and over again, you start to get a perceived pattern out of it. So today we're going to talk a little bit about that and I'll try to, I'm going to try to mix some pop culture into what I'm talking about. So it's a little more relatable and maybe you've heard these terms before and just never realized uh, what that term actually meant. I'm interested to see what you have to say. Start it right off. Most of my architecture deals with what I call complex dynamic systems. And so that would be something such as uh, the weather systems are a complex dynamic system and ecosystems are also a complex dynamic system. So chaos theory works to try to find order. And it's a little misleading because you say you hear chaos and you think, oh, well, that's chaotic. That's chaotic variables and unpredictable outcomes. Well, it's a perceived unpredictability. As I've said before, chaos theory seems to uh, rectify chaos in order. And there's something called the edge of chaos, which is the precipice of a system being a disorderly system to an orderly system. So it's kind of on the edge of that. And chaos theory deals with the edge of chaos between... Uh, chaotic systems and systems that are uh, have patterns, perceived patterns, and fractals are kind of like the language, the mathematical language of understanding that complex dynamic system and kind of the innumerable amount of variables that go into it. So that that's kind of what it is in a nutshell. Are chaos the variables theory. what make it a di complex dynamic system? The amount of variables. So uh, if you have something that has only like two separate variables. There's only two, only so many outcomes you could have. Like if you had a die that only counted to like three, and you had two of them, there's only so right. many different outcomes. Right. But if you had a die that had a million different numbers on it, missed with a million different dies, each having a million different numbers, mm -hmm. when you roll those dice, you're almost never going to get the same number. Right. In a perceivable amount of time to the human consciousness, that is. Because if you were to roll that over the t course of millions of years over and over again, a pattern will emerge from that. 
And that's a lot of different variables because then there's the variables that goes into the physics and centripetal force of actually throwing one of these and the different forces that are at work. So that's exhausting all those variables. Right. And in addition to just how you throw them, you know, what surface they're on. Exactly. Everything. And, and just if you start thinking about the variables that go into it, it's a lot. But they can be exhausted and a pattern can emerge from those variables. Now, uh, I noticed that a lot of people's exposure to the term chaos theory actually comes from the blockbuster movie Jurassic Park. So if anyone needs a refresher on that movie, I haven't seen it in a long time. I was in a, I forget, 90, it wasn't 91, was it? Mm-hmm. I, I don't remember the look it up. It, it, irrelevant. Either way, it, it was a blockbuster movie, and in it, there's a character named Ian Malcolm, uh, Malcolm, and he is a big proponent of chaos theory. He's a he a chaos-tician, he calls himself. So he's like a mathematician that specializes in chaos, <laughs> chaos theory. It's kind of a funny name. And, and yeah, he talks about it in the movie, but it, in its very, very bare basic bones kind of description and in it he's uh he's kind of he's he's flirting with the um that that one uh girl that's in it you know i'm gonna have to go ahead and come out and say it i haven't really seen the jurassic parks as in-depth as i should have i don't really remember any of them it's kind of like i haven't seen the line no, it's just kind of like a fun movie it's not meant to be like it's just a fun thriller blockbuster okay. well, i mean i know movie. i mean I've, i know the premise and i've seen you know a couple scenes but i don't know who the girl is oh uh, well she's a paleobotanist so someone that uh specializes in uh prehistoric plants okay. and that that's a kind of her job title in, in the park uh either way he he's sitting there they're, they're in the they're in the car going through the tour and she asks him what he does, like what chaos theory even is. And mm-hmm. he tries to show her that he can, if she holds her hand out and he takes a droplet of water and drops it, there's no way of predicting which way it would go. And that's describing the seemingly chaotic aspect of the system. Because and he's talking about the different variables, like your hand shifts a little bit, the water, you know, the, the follicles in your on your skin and, and your hair, like can change the direction of where the water like falls. Even if you drop it from the same place, but you say seemingly chaotic, because seemingly it's not chaotic, chaotic because what he what they don't talk about because they get interrupted in it. But what they should have talked about is how he seeks to calculate the outcomes of the uh, of those droplets of water and be able to find an underlying pattern that's underneath it. And it, the the amazing thing is is why they don't talk about the chaos system enough, which blows my mind. Is that half the movie the whole movie pretty much is about chaos. The whole movie is about dealing with a complex dynamic system where the variables are innumerable and we can't, we're not able to calculate how many different variables they are, such as a weather system are, are, are kind of our feeble attempts to calculate weather and how weather will occur. It's just kind of a good example of that. Mm -hmm. And the reason I got so into chaos theory isn't it because the movie i loved the movie as a kid is because i read the books and the author michael crichton is is an actual doctor with uh i don't know what phds he has he has a phd in something but he's extremely well scientifically literate and in his book it's hard science about chaos theory and when i was reading that i really started to get into the whole concept of chaos theory and that's what led me to go do my own research and really start to delve into 
what chaos theory is. I've always thought it was cool when authors use actual science and actual numbers and actual, you know, laws of physics uh, in those fiction books and, and these kind of crazy stories because it it sort of helps us as readers and, and listeners, viewers kind of, you know, connect with it and make sense of it in our real world. And it's it makes it real. It's kind of nice to see that. Yeah, no, it, it being missed in in our, in our pop culture is absolutely fantastic. I mean, I wish we had more of that nowadays in our movies the last movie i could think of that really had some hard science in it that was really interesting was interstellar and the martian which are both fantastic movies if you ever interested in dealing with like hard science movies and actually kind of get it right definitely two movies to watch i mean they they take their own truths and they embellish it obviously interstellar more so than the martian embellishes the truth uh the martian actually is a movie that could practically pretty much happen for the most part. I haven't seen The Martian, but, you know, of course I've seen Interstellar. Yeah, yeah. Pretty much everyone's seen uh, Christopher Nolan's excellent movies. Isn't that the... It has Peyton Bullock in it or something, or the girl? I don't I don't Whatever. know what the girl's name. All I know is Matthew McConaughey. <laughs> oh, yeah. That, that's all I'm aware of. There's it, the pop culture you were mentioning. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, well, there's going to be a lot more of that. You know, Jurassic Park's one of them. So uh, yeah, in, in in the book they talked, they definitely talked a lot more in depth about how uh, the chaotic, chaotic systems fit into something like having a prehistoric park and how unforeseen variables can lead to unforeseen outcomes. But the whole point of the chaos isn't that you can't predict it; it's that in the current time, it's hard for us to predict complex dynamic system. And one of the reasons is, is our computing power just isn't good enough to be able to run simulations enough to show every different outcome of every possibility and that leads me into kind of our next point here and what we're going to talk about and that's going to be quantum physics so quantum physics nowadays is i i think for the most part vastly misunderstood a lot of people see it as just like a, an untouchable subject for most common people to understand yeah, the the common the common thought about it is that it's a super like super like cool subject that people are just like yeah I talk about quantum physics and yeah <laughs> it's almost like this um, a higher being of a subject or people think it's some kind of out of reach insane you know astrophysics type thing when it's I actually don't know what you're saying either. Well, it, it, it is and it isn't, but I mean, we've got to look at it in the, the perspective of man. Uh, Newtonian physics during his day, you know, the 1600s, was extremely advanced. Uh, I mean, only the super high-ups could understand what he was talking about. So, so give us the rundown of your view on quantum physics then. Well, quantum physics is understanding the world of the small, so the super small, uh, subatomic particles uh, uh, deals with... And anything atomic scale or lower is oftentimes what people consider to be quantum physics. And it thought a lot a lot of his popularity was gained from Stephen Hawking and a lot of what Stephen Hawking did. Uh, he was a big proponent of string theory. He didn't invent it. So a lot of people think he came up with string theory, which was actually way a little bit before his time. He just kind of continued uh, dealing with sh string theory by with, with some of his theories uh, to go and 
name specifically what theories, but there's a lot of them. <laughs> just so we sort of collaborated. It, uh, I encourage people to go do their own research and read read some of his books. They're they're absolutely fantastic. Who Einstein? Uh, I'm well, yeah, Einstein, but no, Stephen Hawking. Oh, because uh, St- Stephen Hawking's written some books that are good for just like pretty much anyone to understand. Universe in a nutshell is a good one if you if you're you like pictures <laughs> you want and he like pit- actually wrote them yeah yeah he, no he wrote them i didn't know that he was an author yeah that's how he got big i had no idea honestly he, he's written a ton of books i mean i obviously know who you know stephen hawking is and i understand what importance he has on the world or had isn't he is he alive no he's gone yeah he, he passed away recently though didn't he he did yeah, a couple of years. Succumbed to Lodiarid's disease, or mm-hmm. ALS. Yeah. Also known as. But of course I know who he is. I just didn't know that he yeah, was like, yeah, you know, a big time author. Yeah, that, and every, everyone, a lot of people know what he is, but uh, he's he's pretty famous for something called Hawking Radiation. Uh, uh, he, he's pretty famous for a lot of quantum physics studies and his work on string theory. So, the reason it's such a big topic is just, they think that that's the fabric of our universe is made up of tiny vibrating strings. So this brings me into my next uh, pop culture part, and I'm, I'm going to put a little bit of spoiler warning because I'm going to talk about Endgame. Uh, I thought everyone in the universe has seen it, but apparently my audio engineer, Nick, has not seen the movie yet. I'm going to go ahead and give a quick backstory about one of my clients last week. So I have a client who does a podcast for comic books, and they talk about movies, they do reviews on comic books, and they kind of speak to all the comic uh characters like dc and marvel and all that stuff so long story short they came in to do a two-hour episode on endgame and they asked me if i had seen it and i told them i hadn't and they were so behooved that i i hadn't gone out and already you know watched it so you know i actually had to sit outside of my own studio for most of that episode because i didn't want it to get spoiled And, and then uh you know, they said, well, you're going to have to to watch it before you edit the podcast episode, you know, in a few days. Uh, I never went out to go and watch it, and I I don't think they're going to hear this, but I'll say it. I'll go on record and say it. I, I skipped through a lot of that podcast editing uh, pretty quickly and didn't really get a spoiler, and they came back and said the edit sounded amazing. So I've already dodged one spoiler <laughs> bullet. I don't know if I'm going to dodge another here, but... Well, this isn't going to be heavy, huge spoilers. Um, this, this is stuff that if you watch the trailer, you, you kind of just know that this premise is going to be in the movie so i'm not going to talk about specifics well it's okay i'm here to edit your podcast and be a catalyst to your content so so in the movie one of the main aspects of it is is dealing with a kind of fourth dimensional aspect to it and in it they actually dropped a really cool concept that I was not expecting Marvel or anyone to understand or even be able to name drop. But there's a scene where Tony Stark discovers something called, well, he doesn't discover it, but he runs a simulation that comes up with something called a Mobius strip. So a Mobius strip is a surface with only one side. And it's a two-dimensional object that's bent through three-dimension. Uh, you seal it in space. I don't. I don't know if I even pronounced that right, but that's uh, that that's that's how I've heard it. And essentially, what this is, if you took a strip of paper and you just made a loop with it, well, that's a single loop. But if you were to twist that piece of paper, 
and then connect it, you know, tape it to one side, then you have a two-dimensional object that is essentially folding through the dimension above it, which is the third dimension. And so just 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 imagine this practically for a second. You you take out a piece of paper and you you create the loop, but you twist it. So if you were a 2D flatlander, you're an ant on this piece of paper and you're cruising along on this nice flat two-dimensional surface and in the meantime it's flipping through the third dimension. Well, you could do the whole entire loop straight and go through it and not realize that you're going through the dimension above you. It still feels like you're in a 2D environment. However, you're essentially folding through the higher dimension above you. So you're saying it's like twisted. Yeah, so you look at a picture, just 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 imagine it twisting, not not just in a flat loop. Like you can make a loop, you know, like a chain. If right. you ever made those little paper yeah. chains as a kid where you, you tape mm-hmm. them together. Uh, not like that. It's, it's if you took that and then you folded it and then did completed yes, the loop. totally got you. So it kind of has like a corkscrew, mm-hmm. like twist between it. And if you're, you know, imagine yourself as an ant cruising along this. Well, in the meantime, you're flipping through the higher dimension above you, which is the third dimension. as the dimension above the second. And so this is used in different sort of simulations to show how you could fold yourself through the dimension above you. Well, the dimension above us is the dimension of time, the fourth dimension, which is a dimension of time. So take this thought experiment, for example. If you were to be in an empty room, you're just standing there, and you were to throw a ball, and four seconds in the future, yourself catches that ball, that line you would draw would be a line through the fourth dimension. We only perceive it to be in the third dimension of time because we, we can't perceive... We perceive time to be a, a yeah linear, linear track yeah. that just goes straight forward. There's no going back. There's no going forward. There's no left, right, or different possible outcomes of it. It's only one simple line. And so that line essentially go back to... That's the second dimension. Imagine the second dimension then. If you just drew a straight line on a piece of paper, well, that line, that set 2D line could be folded through the dimension above it. So imagine taking that fourth dimensional line in, in space, in time, of you throwing that ball, and then you having a branch where you threw the ball to the left, and you went over there and caught the ball four seconds in the future, you now have fifth dimensions. You have five different d- possible outcomes. You have you have a different possibility that sprung off from that possibility, a different a different outcome. So then you would be in the fifth dimension, and let's say you fold those two lines into the one. Well, that's folding through the dimension above you. Question? <laughs> well, no, you ever no, no question. I'm just looking at DJ in bewilderment. If anybody is wondering what the pause was for, uh, I totally understand. Actually, the fifth dimension. Uh, concept of, of out different possibilities of outcomes and i understand the fourth dimension of time or which is just time in its linear old fashion i'm kind of failing to grasp what you mean by the sixth uh dimension well okay so you've seen the movie interstellar mm-hmm. when he's going through that tesseract at the end when he looks like he's flipping through time mm-hmm. 
he's inside the fifth dimension because he's looking at time as if it's like a pages of a book as if you're flipping through pages of a book they all exist within the same view as your time for example the same view well he's looking at it as if he's reading a book as if you're flipping through pages of a book he's flipping through time as if it's pages of a book but is he going forward is he going backwards is he going through all of uh, irrelevant if you have a book do you look at it as going forward or backwards through the book or can you just look at any page anytime you want from well, beginning could, to end i could look at any page at any time i want but i think of a book as going forward when i read it well yeah when you don't read it but for for a second get rid of your third dimension notions your linear right <laughs> your, your, your linear motions and uh, imagine that book is every moment of your life from beginning to end from cover to to bad okay if you're in the third dimension now you perceive time as linear well you're reading that page by page by page mm -hmm. well if you were a fifth dimensional being you would be able to open that book and look at any page you want at any point in time right it, from your beginning to your end okay, that makes sense so that covers the fifth dimension now here's where stuff starts to get crazy take that book from your beginning to end and put that as one straight line with all the little segments cut up in between it. Now, take something happening at your birth, divert that timeline to another line. You're in what dimension now? The sixth. You're in the sixth dimension. That's a line through the sixth dimension. Now... It's a totally possible outcome now, based now, on, like, the butterfly effect. Yeah, now you have, like, a... Uh, now you have a length, height, and width, so it's like you're in the third. You're in the third dimension, basically. So yeah, es essentially, you know that that doubles. So are you seeing how the multiples, how the math is working here? Yeah. Sixth dimension, third dimension. We're backed up to a length, height, and width. Yeah, that's kind of how I was viewing it in my my head was like a geometric shape or like a cube. Yeah, and how, how I'm always explaining the second dimension, trying to explain the fourth dimension by telling you about the second dimension. Which makes sense because we need to view it in steps to make it fully understood. And I, I do I do understand uh, a bit what you're saying with the fifth and sixth dimension. Uh, I think at first it's just a little bit hard to wrap my brain around the way you'd utilize it and the way you want to maybe apply it. But for me, when you kind of elaborated a little bit more with the idea of different possibilities, that's kind of where it hits a little bit more home. Well, you'll you'll see where we're going with it. But first, I'm gonna I'm gonna bring it back down. We got to the sits before we go all our way to ten <laughs> different dimensions, which well, I know you could do. Well, we'll, we'll take we'll take a quick break, and I'm going to kind of tell you about why why like these how these dimensions could be easily understood. Okay, that would help so, me a lot. Take yourself being a 2D flatlander for a second. You're a 2D being that only has a length and a width, no height to it. So, as a 2D flatlander, you live in, in your little 2D paper space world, right? Well, take a 3D object like an apple or something for a second. Place that down on the 2D world. The cross section of that apple isn't going to be a nice flat section, is it? It's going to have one point that shows up over here to the left one point that shows up to the right and then the middle is raised they'll be seemingly unconnected mm -hmm. so take like an arch for example if you drop an right. arch down those are two separate points but they're connected through the third dimension the dimension above it 
That makes way more so, sense. There's a concept called quantum entanglement. And quantum entanglement is and, and this experiment that we discovered that if we vibrate an atom at a certain frequency in one area, there could be an atom that's completely separate from it that vibrates the same way, but they're separated by distance. So that like resonates with it? That resonates with it. So those two particles, those two uh, atoms are entangled with each other. And we're like, okay, well, that could be over vast distances. So you could have a uh, atom here and then all the way at the edge of the galaxy. And if they're quantum entangled, then those two can both vibrate the same frequency when you do that. Now, you might go, okay, well, those aren't connected by any physical phenomenon. Here's where it gets tricky. They're connected through the dimension above us, the fourth dimension. They're connected in time. So a, 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 an atom can be at, the, at, the, at different places at different times. But it's the same atom at two different places at the same time. Right. That makes sense. And so this is where I'm getting to this. If you're a 2D flatlander, you're seeing two what looks like seemingly unconnected objects that are connected through the fifth, not fifth, they're connected through the third dimension, which made sense to us because we live in the third dimension. So seeing so something connected through the third dimension is normal. We see is, it every is day. normal to us. Now, we can't perceive time the same way. We perceive time as a linear, uh, a, a linear timeline in the third dimension. So if something happens above in the fourth dimension, that's effectively happening through the top of the fourth dimension. Now, I believe that we get uh, some sort of residual effect from the fourth dimension that we don't realize that we sometimes realize, like the concept of deja vu. Yeah. Deja That's vu. like a different possibility of outcome, isn't it? It, it is, but deja vu is like, I, you when you're going, I just swear to God, I feel like I've lived this moment before. Or like, I swear this moment was coming. Well, it's just it was, because you're... It, it's, not, it's not predestiny either. It's just one of the possibilities that can, that can come of it. So I'm not saying that everyone has a predestined path. I, I, I don't believe in linear uh, time travel, for example, like Back to the Future or something. So I once... I don't know if I was speaking with you, and I feel like it was speaking with you, and this might have been back in the first few episodes of this podcast, or it might have been when we were just hanging out, just friends. But I remember talking about with someone the idea that dreams if we have the ability to dream and we 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 dream up these certain circumstances um our brain almost is able to manifest those des not destinies i don't want to use that word but our brain almost can manifest those situations to happen um i can't remember exactly I think I feel like I had it better before I said it and, you know, it was better in my head. But something along the lines of, you know, if our brain can think it up to dream it, it's actually possible that it can manifest itself into, you know, real life. Yeah, and, well, well, part of the interesting part of dreams is that dreams don't have to adhere to the laws of, not physics, but they don't have to adhere to the laws of time. Have you ever had a dream where you fell asleep for five minutes, but you lived out a whole day? It feels like you did your whole day routine in your dream, and you were only asleep five minutes? Mm -hmm. Well, that's your brain's ability to, to be able to manipulate time, so to speak. 
your your brain isn't tied to your third dimensional senses. So your your, your senses are what kind of ties you to you know the reality of the of the third three dimensions. And when you go to sleep, you shut off all those, and your head retreats back into itself. That's a really good point, DJ. Your senses is what ties you to the reality of the third dimension. Well, yeah. If without any of your senses, if you got rid of smell, touch, hear, see, then you're not tied to to this world at all. I mean, your body's just a vessel that ties you to this world. Interesting concept. So that that that's all. That's all it essentially is. I mean, on, on your own, your brain is, is an enormously powerful machine. It, it actually is the most one of the most complex systems we've ever seen. And it absolutely amazes me every day that natural processes from the earth led up to the outcome of having such a complex brain. I mean, I can think about that, you know, anything in that way. When I think of really anything that is here on this earth, it blows my mind that, you know, natural processes for the most part brought them, you know, here. They did, but, you know, it also shouldn't be shocking in a way because chaotic variables lead to predictable unchaotic outcomes after they are rolled many times over. Humans are just another one of those inevitable outcomes that are just liable to show up if you if you run the program so many times. And you think of the time scale of this earth, you know, it was bound for us to it's kind of bound for us to happen just because the amount of variables and that's a lot of the premise behind why people think there's other advanced life out there because there's the it's just run so many times you know but there's no way that it didn't repeat at least once or yeah, twice and people are like well you need perfect scenario to get earth yeah but imagine running that more than the amount of sand particles on every beach of every everywhere on earth at one point it has to line up all again yeah of course <laughs> of course it'll line up to create life again that's just how that, how it works so no doubt in my mind there's other life out there now the question is is there advanced life out there like us well that's up for debate because we're not an inevitable outcome of evolution if you think we're an inevitable end to evolution then you're not understanding how evolution works Right. Well, there's different like, you know, conditions that happen. I mean, it's not like we're we're just what we are and we are destined to be what we are. We had to, you know, adapt and 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 what is it called? Uh I'm, the people listening to this podcast are probably going to think I'm quite uneducated, especially if they're here for the the information that you're providing, but Essentially, what's it called when, you know, you adapt for, you know, like a giraffe adapted to have a long neck because it needed to eat, you know. Natural selection? Natural selection. That's the, that's the process that... So, doesn't that play a huge role in why you said, like, you know, evolution isn't absolute? Well, or, yeah, it plays a massive role in it. And for millions of years, there was no intelligent life like us throughout Earth's history. We just showed up, but my point is we're not an inevitability, meaning not every evolution chain throughout its whole billion you know years on the planet is going to lead to advanced intelligent life mm-hmm. it's It's not an inevitability because you don't need intelligence per se to be able to succeed, and it was some initial conditions which led us to our rise, like for example, the continents closing off here shot off a current that was bringing a lot of rains to Africa, which is why 
the tall grass and became a savanna with tall grass, which is why we stand upright, why we stand erect. So. Exactly different variables. Just because some ocean current changed halfway across the other side of the world led to variable conditions, which led us to be upright. Which also reminds me again of the butterfly effect. No way. Because of that little current change never happened. Yeah, and, and complex dynamic systems are driven by initial conditions, it's called, which is what we, we deal with with fractals. And fractals are really, they could be vastly different judging on its initial conditions, which are rendered in the very beginning when you run the system. So complex dynamic systems are driven by initial conditions. So that's one, that's one word to remember, initial conditions. Got it. So back to the back to the quantum physics. There's something called the the double slit experiment, and what this experiment was is they took uh, a slit on the microscopic scale and they sent one atom through it, right? And then they would look at the spread of atoms and where the atoms would end up. So it, it's as if like you took a ball and you threw it between like a narrow corridor. Sometimes it would bounce off that, bounce off that, and then it would sometimes go through the slit, right? And depending on its trajectory, the, the slit would only have... If you were to map out where those balls went, you know, to the dark, like... Uh, so uh, maybe you'll do it in sense of like a marble would make more sense. You throw it down this narrow passageway from different angles and different areas. Well, the spread is going to look like a solid, you know, straight line where these marbles end up. Right, because they eventually repeat on themselves after a certain amount of times, like we've been talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, they repeat, but they, they take up all that area. Well, that's if they have a single slit pattern. Well, the double slit pattern is where things start to get really interesting. So, they would start throwing atoms down the double slit one at a time. And depending on where it would go, it would end up in one slit or the other, Right. Well, interesting thing happened with if you looked at it, if you if you were to put like a theoretical like heat map of how how often the marble ends up in that one area. Well, you would get you would get a heat map that made sense. You would get a heat map that at the uh, edges would be would be the most outcomes, and then towards the edges would be the least outcomes, right? Well, not when you're in the quantum world. When you're in the quantum world is where things start to get strange, where things start to really get odd. And the spread you see in the quantum world is way different than you would imagine with you know, general understanding of how physics and everything work. Why? Because it's at such a micro level? Because at the micro, at the micro level, the rules start to change. The rules are different at the micro level than they are at the macro level. And that's one of the problems in science right now, why you can't unify quantum physics with relativity. They just don't go together. Quantum physics doesn't work in the same way relativity works. It breaks down and stops working. Well, obviously it's cohesive somehow because those two things exist in the universe at the same time. But we don't understand how they connect. We don't understand how it works exactly. What's great about science and similar to something that I see every day 
over at the the tech coding you know co-working spot that i work at and a theme that in these tech co-working guys uh that they say and they have these web developers is that they say when we're done solving a problem if there's no issue if we're not solving a problem if we're not troubleshooting if we're not working to find the answer to something then we're not doing our jobs anymore and i kind of feel like that's how the how science is here and um in regards to what you just said you know it's awesome how we don't know everything and we don't know how everything connects and there might be some blank areas and some some white areas where things don't seem to add up or make sense but we can still continue to to try and make those leaps and bounds and find those things but i just think it's such an interesting illusion to make you know that science we don't know everything we don't even know close to everything and we're still learning and and it's acceptable to not know everything. Well, these experiments for quantum physics have only have only made things make less sense to us, <laughs> and, that, and that's the, that's the problem. And the other problem is is that through the very act of observing the outcome of these particles, we change the outcome of these particles by the very essence of observing it. So, have you ever heard of Schrodinger's cats? Yeah. Everyone's heard of that experiment where the cat exists in the bots and also doesn't exist in the bots simultaneously at the same time. Something like that. Well, it doesn't exist in those two states. The, what the what the experiment is talking about, what Schrodinger is talking about, is the fact that the very essence of observing the outcome of the experiment changes the outcome of the experiment. If you observe an atom, you need a way to detect it, right? We can't do that completely passively. You need to see it or something. If you turn on a light, that's photons. They're interacting with that atom. In order for us to observe it with our instruments, we are affecting the very outcome of the experiment, mm. so to speak. So, you know, the whole turn off the lights and the atom exists in a state and also doesn't exist in a state... Well, the only reason that's true is because we don't know, because we can't observe it, because if we do, then we change the outcome. We're altering it. And we're altering the outcome. So that's mm. that's the main problem, is that we can't really see the universe and the Thomas scale how it is, because we have to affect the outcome in order for our instruments to pick up what's going on. So it's almost just like an, ina an inaccurate reading that we'd be getting. I wouldn't say inaccurate, but it doesn't exist in a state of non-observation. It's the very act of observing something that is the problem. So if you can't observe it, how do you know the outcome? You don't. <laughs> and, it, and if you're you know, observing it as resulting in a flawed outcome, then you can't observe it. No, well, you didn't observe it. You changed it. You didn't observe its, its, re, its real state, the real state of the matter. So, and, and that's, part of, that's part of the problem with that. And, you know, this does have to do with the split experiment as well. But what we're discovering is that we're sending one atom at the same time down the split. And somehow the atom was also going through the other slit at the same time somehow. It's one atom. <laughs> what? And that's when we're like, well, what the hell? Well, how could it be at two places? Like, how is it? How's that the spread? That's kind of creepy. How's the spread showing this way? Like, that doesn't make any damn sense. I wish I could show a, a, the. They have a simulation of it uh, on on YouTube here. Just explain what the name of the video is, and so people can go ahead and. Look well, it up. Uh, just look up double slit experiment is what you can look up, and they'll have simulations showing what the what the hell was going on. Uh, Why wow, you want to see it, Nick? 
This is the one, Adam. See, look. Hey, yo. Ended up in multiple Just places. Looks like it's splitting. <laughs> yeah, but they're not splitting the atom. <laughs> that's not what's going on. But that's that's what the this is where the outcomes are showing. See, this is where some of them bounce off, bounce off, but then how do some of them go through? The you know the the spread is not it doesn't make any sense. Because the atoms are picked one way or the other, and it pits both ways. Mm. Very symmetrical. So then you're like, what the hell? We only sent one atom. How's it? How's it two places at once? Mm-hmm. And that's sixth dimension, or the fifth dimension. Well, it was a different. It was a different outcome in a. It's different place and time. Which you said is like the fifth dimension, or, or right? Different, different possibility. It isn't creating two atoms. It's just looking at the uh, possible outcome of where, or where the atom's gonna go. But isn't that kind of like you said about flipping through a book, looking at like your life? So uh, it, it kind of relates to it in, in that way, in a sense that it's going through a dimension above us that we, we can't perceive or understand. And, that, and that's why uh, quantum physics, that's what quantum physics deals with. And uh, how I was talking about the Mobius strip, how it's a strip that vibrates in and out. Well, they believe that these string theory are little Mobius strips, essentially, little vibrating string that made up the fabric of space-time, and that these vibrating string are vibrating in and out of the fourth dimension, so to speak, because they're twisting and turning, and this is what causes some of the oddities that are seen on the quantum scale. Mm-hmm. So you got to go lower than atoms, and then there's something called a top and bottom quark. you got to go lower than those, even, before you get to uh, quantum foam, or a plank length, they call it, which is, uh, which is where, the, um, where the lowest form of measurement is at, as far as we know. As far as we know, that is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this, this quantum foam could be what is used to explain relativity or how relativity occurs like the process that causes relativity so take for example space as quantum foam so say you have like a memory foam mattress and you drop a bowling a bowling ball in it and you take marbles and you throw them around well that's like an orbit that that bowling ball is going to create a dip right in the fabric of that memory foam and they're all going to roll to the middle well Look at space-time as a fabric that could be bent. And we already know that gravitational waves can occur with the last uh, uh, experiment, LIDO. If anyone's heard of that, LIDO was a uh, laser experiment to detect gravitational waves at a far distance. And we detected two colliding black holes, and from it we got gravitational distortion from both of them they've created a ripple effect that rippled throughout space so space is often perceived as empty nothing in it well it's made up of this quantum foam or this fabric of space time so it's an actual tangible thing but it's not tangible in the sense of what we're used to in our material world right it's not like we can pick it up but it does exist yeah and that that's where people that's why people believe that in between it there's something called uh dark matter and dark energy which are two separate things. Don't think those are the same things. Dark matter and dark energy are completely two separate things. And one of the causes for thinking there's dark energy is because 
if you run the totulations from the Big Bang and you, you take note of all the energy here, well, there's a ton of energy missing. So, where is all that energy? It just disappeared into nowhere. Uh, first law of thermodynamics states that energy can be neither created nor destroyed, only transformed to in, into a different form. So, there's a ton of missing energy. So, it had to go somewhere. So, it has to be somewhere, and that's what we believe is dark energy, which is energy we can't perceive or see. And then dark matter is essentially everything that's between all the material that we see. And that's very basic. It's a lot more complicated than that, but we're not <laughs> we're not going into every we're not diving into everything. It's kind of broad uh talk of quantum physics and how that's all gonna affect to the fractal exploratorium. Fractal architecture that is. So that is does that kinda answer your question on it did the job. Okay. So, if you want to understand relativity, this is kind of how you can see it, is that the fabric is made up of space and time. Space-time. Not as two separate entities, but as the same entity. So, if you were to fly near a black hole, and this was a concept that was explored in Interstellar, they went down to a planet, and they were down there for an hour and seven years passed outside of that gravity. So the reason this happened is because space-time was distorted near a black hole. Black holes are are infinite mass. So this divot that you made in the memory foam mattress goes down into another memory foam mattress somewhere. It's not it's it's too big to be just a dip, but it opens up what's called like a wormhole. That's why they believe wormholes are created through black holes so we don't know where things go when they go inside the black hole we're not exactly sure where they go because we can't really tangibly follow something through it's a journey through a black hole well as far as we know no information is going to survive to tell us what happens exactly that's what i'm saying no one's going to survive that journey yeah nothing could come back light can't even come back so we can't we can't detect anything because it sucks in everything so, it's what we can't detect is what we determine how black holes exist. It's from the absence of light in an area where we know there's a black hole there. Well, it's funny that you said something about absence of light because, you know, when we bring this back to the sound world, like in Star Wars, when the Death Star explodes, they had this whole production meeting about what would be the most powerful sound that they could put there? What would be the biggest explosion? What would be the, the most impactful thing? What they ended up doing is is actually using the absence of any sound at all to create the most huge impact and amount of suspense as possible and um you know black holes are kind of like that with with information a black hole we have an absence of information on that and on them and and that's that's almost powerful in and of itself well funny thing is black holes aren't quiet they're actually one of the loudest objects in space really yep they produce a sound all right i wonder what kind of sound not auditory like we're used to. There's no air particles, no median to bounce off vibrations True. from. Yeah. But it produces sound in other ways, other waveforms. It gives off a massive amount of gamma. So black holes can eject massive amount of gamma rays near the secretion disk. So the only visible part of a black hole is before the event horizon and the secretion disk around it. Essentially the matter and mass and light that's in the orbit of the black hole 
is what we can see. And the gamma that doesn't go in it, it is ejected out of it. So black holes can emit massive amount of gamma rays. And what this proves is that you can literally fold the three dimensions, fold space-time, and dilate time. Relativity proves that time is is more fickle than we thought. That that time is you can you can mold time and change time. It isn't this linear, you know, stringent thing that you can't change. Set thing. It's not some set thing. And, you know, there's a lot of debate. People are like, oh, well, you can't go back to time, but you can go forward in time. Well, if you can manipulate time in the first place, then... I mean, just, wouldn't it make sense that if you could go forward, you could go backwards? I think it would make sense, but then you start to get in the whole field of paradoxes. But I don't believe that... I don't believe in linear time travel. Like, Back to the Future is linear. He goes back and, uh, you know bets on tangible things yeah well i mean he, he goes back and changes his own future by changing the past well the common paradox with that is that if you cease to exist in the future then you don't exist to come back and change the timeline so how could you change your own timeline if you go back and you change your existence you kill your great-grandfather well then you don't exist to go back to kill your great-grandfather Mm. so that's a paradox that does make sense so that's why i don't prescribe to linear that's that's kind of bad to the future it's almost like an oxymoron well it's a paradox because you can't go back i totally you i'm not going to repeat it because you just said it but that totally makes sense i mean you if you don't if you go back and you don't exist in the future then how do you how do you go go back back? how do you go back to your great grandfather because well you didn't exist in the first place, you kill him. You don't exist in the first place. You go back and kill him. Paradox. Mm. And the the way to rectify this is if you go back and kill your grandfather, well, you start a new timeline. A new possible timeline comes of it. So we talked about the fifth dimension. The sixth dimension is what we're going to start getting into in the seventh dimension. So are, are we are we ready? We have the sixth dimension where you can flip through all time and see the all all different possibilities. Well, let's start from a single point now. We start from the Big Bang, right? The Big Bang is the initial condition which starts our reality. Now take our Big Bang and look at every possible outcome of every possibility from those initial conditions of our Big Bang. Everything that can happen in our universe every possible outcome of every possibility throughout all of time. So you're saying it's not the every possibility of something, one specific things, uh, you know, outcomes. It's, it's, it's the every possibility of every... Of the initial condition of the Big Bang. So, so you take the Big Bang and you take every possible outcome of every possibility, every roll of the die, every single variable that could be possibly played out, and you put all those possibilities into one. Now, how is that different than looking at all the different possibilities, like in number, you know, the fifth? Well, because that that would be all your timeline possibilities, or right. So that's what I was saying. So but, it's it's not it's more broad. It's 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 the possibilities for everything and not, everybody, not just it's not one. The, every person. possibility of every possibility 
if you get what I'm trying to say. I got you. Yeah. I'm talking about every possible outcome of every possibility. Right. So any single thing you could do. So imagine you move your hand a certain way or you move it that way, right? Well, there's a dimension where your hand's slightly off axis, not in the same one. Imagine just every possible perceivable variable all happening. And then take that whole every possibility and then place that as one single dot. Take another possibility of different initial conditions, a different whole universe created with every possibility of every possible outcome. Draw a line between that. What are we back at? Second dimension. First dimension. Second dimension. Back. Yeah. We're back with a line. In the second dimension. We're now in the eighth. But doesn't that just start to repeat on itself, which is a fractal in and of itself? No. <laughs> Now you're starting to understand where we're going with this. Yeah. Now you're understanding where we're starting to go here. And so, take those initial conditions of our universe and take another universe with the same initial conditions. Now, branch that off, and here we're starting to get to the 10th. Take every possible initial condition that can possibly happen for the creation of every sort of universe every possible outcome of every possibility of every possible universe and every possible initial condition ever created all happening at once one single dot 10th dimensional dot where everything you could possibly perceive as being a possibility is all happening all at the same time all at once so not just whereas the eighth or the seventh dimension you said has to be one single initial condition this is every con- initial condition. Every possible initial condition. Every possibility exhausted. Everything that could possibly ha- happen with the initial conditions and parameters of how the fabric of our universe works. Not just our universe, but whatever is beyond our universe. Believe it or not, I totally understand this. Well, that's good. Glad you do. You're doing a pretty good job at it. I'm trying. <laughs> I'm trying. This, uh, I'm this trying. is difficult I'm stuff, trying. man. This is Everybody difficult stuff is- for me to understand, too. I'm like, Ugh. Everybody else out there is like, okay, at least he's like understands that it's it's hard to explain. It it is. It's hard for me to understand too, man. It's it's so complicated. Just like I can't imagine because you know we can, it, it, we're just mortal little beans. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> we just see, we just live for a little speck of time, and we're just observing. I mean, we we how do we know that we're right? How do we know that this is all absolute? How do we know any of this? You know. We, we don't, I suppose, and especially when we start talking about, like, the the fifth, fourth, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, ninth, whatever, tenth dimension. I mean, you know, who's to say what is real and not at this point? Well, this is, this is multiverse theory, and this is the belief that there's multiple different universes. Now, the fourth and fifth dimension definitely exist. We know that anything from the start of our initial conditions, every possible outcome can occur, but... This is where it gets to multiverse, is that our little bubble, that little dot, now imagine infinite number of different dots of initial conditions. So it's unlimited those until every single one of those dots fills up a space as one single dot. Oh, I see what you're saying. So that's every possible outcome of every possible initial condition for every universe. Just at different levels. Yeah, and that there's different universes created side by side with ours, depending on where they branch off in the time so so those those universes are dependent on the actions of ours 
No, they're dependent on initial conditions, which half of what we talked about is dependent on initial conditions. Chaos theory and and complex dynamic systems are based on on this. So our universe is driven by initial conditions that lead to complex dynamic systems. And our universe is constantly gone from order to disorder. But this disorder has created complex patterns and complexity. So our universe started out as a single dot, so to speak. Simple initial conditions set it off. The more complex the system, the farther back you go, the more initial conditions drive the outcome of that. So such a slight variation in initial condition of a different universe can lead to such a vastly different universe. So for example, our universe has a very specific balance of matter and antimatter. Our universe wouldn't exist unless matter won out by a very, very minuscule, almost incalculable margin of how much it won out of matter versus antimatter. Well, that's initial condition, how much antimatter's gone into it. And that's to be changed in any sort of universe. And you could get universes where matter that we know can't form or matter forms more plentiful than we know it to form or any any number of possibilities can happen and so now we get to the part where we're like okay how the hell does any of this fit in with architecture mm, forgot we were talking about architecture oh yeah here. we're still talking about architecture well here's here's the here's the point of it is that chaos theory is a tool that is used to calculate the outcome of a complex dynamic system that is suspect to initial conditions that drive it. Well, in order for us to create a house that can live perfectly in an environment that is seemingly chaotic, we must first understand the patterns that are within the chaos and be able to predict sort of predict the future outcome of those systems. Kind of realize where those dots might be, per, per se. Realize every possibility of every possible outcome of where of what can happen. So uh, we, we don't plan for things like floods or earthquakes, but we know those are all going to happen. We all know those things are bound to happen. Our, our planet is ever-changing, and we don't, we don't change with it. We don't create anything that adapts to a changing environment. In order to adapt and create a design that's adaptable, we have to understand where that environment's going and be able to accurately calculate it. To be able to accurately look at every possibility of every possible outcome of that system. So if you're a chess player, if you're able to calculate every possibility of every possible outcome, you win every time. Because mm-hmm. you can judge every move that's going to happen. No matter what move your, your partner who's against you makes, you could be beaten. The computer is able to do this. Well, chess doesn't have that many initial conditions. It doesn't have too many variables, more than we can calculate. But as computers get more advanced, quantum computing, we're able to start calculating chaotic equations. And we're starting to be able to see the predictability in the fractals, the underlying fractals that go in to these calculations and the patterns emerge. Patterns that are put, set in place by initial conditions. And so, fractal architecture seeks to use 
advanced quantum computing and mathematics to be able to understand the environment around us and how the houses can fit into a new paradigm of that ecosystem and environment. How we can become an integral part of it instead of the destructors of it. Mm. Right now, we can't see every outcome. We don't know the outcome. We do something to this environment and there's so many different unprecedented outcomes which we cannot judge. We don't know. We simply don't know. And right now what we're doing to this planet has driven weather systems to become more intense, has driven hurricanes to cause more destruction, cause more wide fl um, widespread flooding. So what we do and in our inability to understand our effects on the ecosystem is we virtually have changed it in ways we can't even imagine. What we have to do is figure out how to build buildings in a society that is cohesive with complex dynamic system, not a hindrance to it. And we need to be able to calculate the outcomes of that using chaos theory and fractals to understand how our design is going to affect everything, every possible little variable that it can affect. That's the kind of architecture we need to design. And that's quantum physics and fractal architecture. Exactly. Everything, everything is interconnected. I don't see science as one simple isolated concept, but rather an embodiment of all possibilities, of all possible outcomes, and everything that can possibly happen. I don't see anything as separate. I don't see chemistry separate from biology. I don't see physics separate from any you of You don't this. see anything as absolute in a way. No, well, everything was connect is, is connected to the initial conditions of the Big Bang. Every possible outcome of every possible known thing in the possible universe is driven from those initial conditions. Everything can be understood. We just don't know. We don't understand it, but our understanding can really make us a race that has powers that we would see as godly. But they're not. Everything can be understood. There's... Everything's a mystery, but nothing is superstition. There's no superstition. Everything can be explained. If it seems superstitious and, uh, oh, you know, dreams and, you know, people like to run with all oh, sacred geometry and dreams. And no, it's because you don't understand it. But it isn't like that. It isn't spooky and scary. It's just because we don't get it. That's just like a cop out. It's a cop out because we don't understand it. You know, when we're afraid of lightning, we created a god, Zeus, for it. Well, now we know exactly what lightning is. Everything in the universe is understandable. Everything can be explained and anything can be manipulated. It's only up to us to be able to sur survive long enough to be able to make <laughs> these more profound discoveries. And that's what we're here on the Fractal Exploratorium to keep exploring. Exactly. So if you're interested in science and how it could pertain to our future and how we can use science as a powerful tool to be able to take control of our own human race's future and how to create a better society for everyone, not just single certain type of people, yeah. but for everyone, that's what fractal architecture seeks to do. Cohesive architecture that is adaptable to our environment. Well, thanks for oh. your time today, Deej. Yes, thank you everyone for listening. Thank you guys for joining us today. If you want or have any questions or comments, you can email me at fractalexploratorium at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram with the handle at fractalexploratorium. 
I want everybody to have a nice rest of your day or night.